chapter 27. I know every week I say I love chapter whatever, but this, this one I really, this is the one. I said 26, I But last week we really started a new, or two weeks ago, we started a new section of the Tanya. And uh, I'll frame it this way. Judaism is one of the greatest challenges we face in our lives. To keep to the regimen of Judaism, especially Judaism in the light of the Tanya, which as we've seen, the Alter Rebbe wants us to strive to be a Benoni. And as we've defined what a Benoni is, that means a person who never compromises. May have temptations, may have urges, may have lusts, but never acts on them. And to live that has got to be one of the greatest feats. And here's a reason why. Typically what motivates us to do things in our lives is uh, the results that we see from it, the reward that we get from it. So it could be monetary, it's a motivator for work because we get the walk home with the paycheck. Or it could be something emotional. We put in the investment in the relationship or in the deal because we come out on the other side with the respect or whatever result we want to see. The thing with Judaism is that there's no, there's no tangible reward. We talk about the reward being the relationship itself. What you get from keeping Judaism is being in a relationship with God. But it's not always a motivator. And therefore, it becomes incredibly important that we have a source of motivation. It used to be before the Balshemtov's times, and they lived in a different world, so it's hard for us to understand, but they were able to keep Judaism simply because of Judaism itself. And they talked about reward and punishment in the next world, paradise, Gan Eden, and Gehinnom, and heaven, and hell, and uh, these kind of conversations got people going. But the Baal Shem Tov discovered that it, people weren't buying it anymore. That talk wasn't getting people to where they needed to be. And he started to see that Jews need motivation. They're falling into a faint. They're not able to find that creative juice that's getting them through the grind of, of keeping Torah and mitzvahs. And he came up with a recipe that's called simcha, joy. And joy is not like joy we, like we talk about it in childish terms, you know, a, a pleasure or a happiness. Joy, as we described it last time we got together, was it's not a consequence of life, it's a cause for life. It's not I'm having it good, therefore I'm joyful. It's I'm joyful, therefore my life is good. It's an optimism, it's an attitude, it's a frame of mind. It's, it's an approach to life. And the Baal Shem Tov sought to instill that into every Jew, said if every Jew can get in touch with that joy, they will be motivated to keep Torah and mitzvahs. And it, it's such a fundamental point that the Alter Rebbe didn't even begin the Tanya with it. It's almost like he assumed it. 
And for the first 25 chapters, he's just detailing the discipline of the Tanya, how you're supposed to live, without even addressing the fact that, hey, I may not be motivated to do this. But after the first half of the Tanya is finished, and we've seen the full gamut of what the Tanya wants from us, now the Alter Rebbe returns to address the motivation factor. And he says, I'm going to acknowledge that I have Hasidim coming to me every once in a while, and they're saying, Rebbe, I'm... I'm depleted. Yeah, I'm, I, my, my gas tank's empty. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting the good fight, but it, it, it's becoming a drag. And I know I can't win that way. We gave the metaphor in, in the last chapter about the wrestling match. If you have two guys wrestling, one is bigger and stronger, and the other is smaller, but more motivated. Who will win? is the one that's more motivated. The one who has the thirst and the willpower to win. The big guy could be as big as he wants. If he's not fighting, he's going to lose. So the chassid tells the altar, he says, listen, I, I, I know I can't win without the motivation, but I'm lacking it. Help me. Help me inject me with some more motivation. This is the discussion that chapter 26 begins, and it's going to go all the way through chapter 34 because the Alter Rebbe identifies different causes for lack of motivation. You can't just come to the rabbi and say, hey, I'm not motivated, help me. Well, what's, why? What, what sucked all the life out of you? Let's figure out you know, what's missing, and then we can replace it, we can replenish it. So the Alter Rebbe goes every chapter and deals with something else that could take away your motivation. Last time we talked, it was about uh, real-life problems. The guy simply didn't have enough money to make ends meet. Everybody knows that even the greatest of marriages can be thrown off by financial issues. Why? There's no connection between money and marriage, but that's the way it is. When a guy is thinking about the bills he can't pay, it can throw off relationships. It can, it, it can put him out of his power. So he, or, or even if it's not financial, maybe it's children, maybe it's health, real-life issues. They didn't come to him by his choice. They're completely out of his control, totally from above, but they take away the motivation. And the altar ever gave him an answer last week. Last time we talked, he said it's about trusting real faith. Faith not only that everything is going to be good, but that everything is good. And there was also another cause of lack of motivation in the end of last chapter, which is a person's guilt from his negative behavior. He feels like he's had an abusive past. He's done things to other people he shouldn't have, committed certain negative acts, and uh, it haunts him. And it sucks the marrow of life out of him. Anybody that's guilt-ridden knows what that feels like. You're guilt-ridden, it's hard to function. You wanna just stay in bed because I don't wanna deal with the feelings that, I'm, that are coming up for me. So to him, the Alter Rebbe said, you have guilt, God can forgive you, forgive yourself too. Make a time, make a time where you think about it, and then just like you shut it on, shut it off. Don't let it come to you in the middle of the baseball game or in the middle of davening. They don't belong. It's the tactics of the Yitzhahara who wants to drag you down. You're guilty about it, make time to think about it. And then, close the case. 
and return to it later. Chapter 27 goes to the next level, a much deeper cause for lack of motivation. And it's as relevant as ever. If I could paraphrase it, I'll just call it, it's the frustration with life itself. Guy comes to the Rebbe, he says, I'm depleted because I'm frustrated with life. I'm not suffering with issues. Bills are being paid. Things are working out. I'm not feeling guilty about something negative. But I can't stand the grind. Life is just, it's unrelenting. I wake up. I fight it through. I resist the urges. I do what I have to do. And then I wake up the next morning and it's back again. So I fight again. And then the third day, it's back again. And it's not just days. It's days turned into weeks, turned into months, turned into years. I thought maybe when I hit 35, 55, but it doesn't get better. I'm not giving in. I'm not failing. But don't we ever get a pass? Like I'm running, a, I'm running the marathon and then I wake up one day and I'm like, it's just enough. When, when does it ever finish? Shabbos. Huh? Shabbos. Yeah? yeah you take your break on Shabbos. You take your break on Shabbos, but I don't know. For me, Your Shabbos is... <laughs> That's what it's yeah. for, right? <laughs> no, it, it, it's... Mean, yeah. yeah, it's like... It still, it still haunts you. It still haunts you, and you have to... It's like you're constantly expending the energy. Turn it off. And, 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 and it's like a perpetual fight. Yeah. And, and the question gets deeper, because we, we start becoming confused about our identity. Now... I'm the wrong guy to be giving this, this part of the year because you guys are all much older than me. But if, if, even, I, if, if even I can relate to it, I'm sure you guys can. When, when we're teenagers, we struggle with many things, discovering ourselves primarily. We're haunted by these questions all the time. Who am I? Who's the real me? One day I wake up with an impulse to that. The next day I'm waking up with an impulse to the next thing. I have drastic fantasies, yeah. sinful fantasies, yeah. self-defeating, depressing fantasies, yeah. just all kinds of garbage. But we think that, you know, that's when, uh, when I'm 18. But when I'm 28, I'm grown up. Shouldn't have to be dealing with petty things like this. And then when you're 38 and 48 and 58, and you're still having the same thoughts <coughs> as when you were 15, you're going, Am I, did I grow up? Did I not grow up? Like, really? I thought I was mature. I thought I was a fully formed man. I thought I got my life together, but I'm still facing this, this stuff. So first, there's the unrelenting fight. But second, because of it, I start doubting myself. Do I ever grow up? Do I ever graduate? 
is there ever a point where I cross over the line and I've arrived? You mean it's easy? Huh? It's supposed to be easy. In effect, in effect, the chassid is asking, does it ever get easy? Uh, Alan can give, can, he can give you the answer right there. We can all go home now. L'chaim, that's the end of the chapter. <laughs> nope, it doesn't get easy. But that's what the guy asked. And by the way, it, it, um, the, the Tanya, you know, we talked about this last time also. It, it, the Tanya was written in a religious context. So the questions being asked here are religious questions. But they're, they're also as practical questions as well. The biggest proof is we all relate to it. We ask ourselves these questions about life, fighting the grind, not necessarily within Torah and mitzvahs. We can be asking ourselves that in business. We can be asking ourselves that in relationships. How long do I have to chase? And there's yet a third element to the question within the framework of the Tanya which is, we, we all would like to believe that uh, we're good people. You know, being, being a good person, it's a fairly new phenomenon, the idea that everyone talks about being a good person. 300 years ago, that wasn't in the lexicon. I mean, you're just a person. You just you be, you do, you're honorable. But it's become a very uh, big part of the lingo, being a good person. And we all like to believe that we are good people, and we all like to believe that uh, we work on our character to fashion ourselves into versions, better versions of ourselves. And from that perspective, the chassid who, who in the Tanya, who sees himself as a benoni, he sees himself as the uncompromising individual, he also would like to believe that uh, one day I become a tzaddik. No, a tzaddik is the model of goodness itself. He's perpetually inspired. I know we haven't talked about him for a while now. We've gotten, the Tanya's taken us on a long journey. But if you remember way back, the tzaddik was the guy who turns the fire on and it never turns off because it's just that this, that's his natural state. So if that's the ultimate paradigm of goodness, so the guy who's working every day kind of likes to see himself measured against that tzaddik. And he says, okay, shouldn't, if I work for 50 years, shouldn't I cross that threshold? How come I'm not a tzaddik yet? This is the combination of elements that's removing the motivation from the chassid in chapter 27. He's frustrated with his life because he doesn't see where it's going. One, does that ever get easier? Two, does the struggle ever finish? And spiritually, do I ever become a tzaddik? And because I can't answer these questions, I come to the Rebbe and I go, help me. Because if I don't, if I don't have an answer, things will spiral out, and before I know it, I'll just give in. I'll throw in the towel because there's no engine to keep me going. He'll start falling down on his impulses. So the short answer, by the way, to all these questions is exactly like Alan said it, and the Alter Rebbe doesn't wait. He gets right to it. He says the answer is no. It doesn't end 
and it doesn't get easier. This is the realm of the Benoni. But, but don't you make peace with it in a certain Yes. Yeah, I mean... And he's going to get to that. Okay. Peace? Make peace, make peace with, with it. But first he says no. That's who you are. First yeah. he says, you just got to know the truth. The realm of the Benoni is struggle. And that's life. Life is struggle. It's not going to let go of you. You're never going to escape it. This is, you're in for the long ride. Yes, you've made incredible strides, incredible progress in your service of God. Yes, you'll continue to make incredible strides. But that's the type of progress that Hashem has destined for us. The type of progress where we continue to fight the fight and it's the winning of the small battles every day and every day we wake up and there's more battles to face. That's the short, you know, headline. But then the Alter Rebbe develops it and he kind of divides this into three parts. One, I guess, harsher than the other. But the Alter Rebbe is no stranger to that. He knows how to be direct when he needs to. The first is, we know this principle from Pirkei Avot, Ethics of Our Fathers. It says, who is the rich man? He who is happy with what he has. So the first thing he tells the Benoni is, you should be happy with what you have. You have the opportunity to fulfill a mitzvah that a tzaddik does not. And we say it every day in the Shema. Towards the end of the third paragraph of the Shema, it says, Don't stray after your heart and after your eyes. The Talmud says that the heart and the eyes are the keys to sin. Because the eye sees, the heart desires, and then the person acts. So, a tzaddik, because he's become good, he's killed the evil inclination. So, he can never fulfill, you know, don't stray after your heart and eyes. His heart and eyes are focused. They're not straying. So he never has that opportunity. You as the Benoni, because you need to struggle every day, because you're always facing the urges, because your eyes are seeing things, you have the opportunity to, to not follow your eyes. And appreciate that. Celebrate it. Uh, the third Rebbe of Chabad that once had a private audience with somebody the Rebbe would love to say this story he, he said the guy walked in and he said Rebbe I need help what should I do that I don't have a desire to learn Torah don't have a desire to learn Torah so you know what Tzemach Tzedek said and what should I do that I do have a desire to learn Torah. In other words, he was saying, you don't have a desire? That's beautiful. Look at me. It comes easy to me. I have a desire to learn Torah, so I learn Torah. So therefore, what's the big deal? You don't have a desire to learn Torah, and you're still going to learn Torah. That's going to be something. It's a celebration of the struggle. It's the, you know, it's the realization that, yeah, because you lack the motivation should be the reason why you're happy about it. 
one of the biggest revolutions of the Baal Shem Tov. And he was really challenged for it. Very, very, he got, he got a lot of flack for it. Was that he declared that the simple Jew is more connected to Hashem than the sophisticated rabbi. And he said it's a very simple equation. The rabbi grew up in a house of Torah. Learning comes easy to him. He's an intellectual. He's never spent a day in his life outside in the woods. Everything came easy for him. Everything was set up for him. So he's connected to God. Big deal. This is a simple Jew, illiterate, had to work in the field since he's nine years old because his father died when he was a, you know, a child. His mother died in childbirth. Barely scraping together a living and he comes to Shul and says to Hillim, are you kidding? What's more valuable than that? And he... Huh? You don't see the value. Because it doesn't look glitzy and uh, fireworksy. Looks like a simple guy just saying a simple word of Torah. But the Baal Shem Tov posited, he said, for that reason, I believe that the simple Jews are connected to God's simplicity, he would say. Anashim pshutim, with the pshitut ha'atzmut, the simple Jews are connected with God's simplicity more than the rabbis could ever hope to be. And it's that idea of appreciating where you're at. He says, yeah, you're not a tzaddik. The tzaddik doesn't have the opportunity to fulfill that. And although the altar doesn't say it clearly, there's an underlying theme here, which is what Alan brought up before, which is make peace with it. One of the toughest things, but most gratifying things we can do is accept our lives for what it is. It's much easier to wish we were somebody else all the time. You know, wish I could have had it like him, wish I could have had it like him. His background, her education, their money, his brains got the mix. It's much easier to do that. But it's truly rewarding when you can accept your life for what it is and really, really embrace it. When, 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 when you accept the life that you have, that's when you enjoy it most. So by telling the Benoni, yes, you're not a tzaddik, but embrace your own life. Embrace what it is for you. That's the first point that the Alter Rebbe makes. But then he gets harsher. And he tells the guy, and I, I love this, this point because it, it's very appropriate many times in our attitudes to, to certain things. He says, you know, you're, you're worried that you're not a tzaddik. You know where that comes from? It comes from your own arrogance. Your lack of honest self-assessment. You think you deserve to be a tzaddik. So you're worried why you're not. It says, you think you're a tzaddik. Halavai, you'd be a benoni. Halavai is like, I wish. I wish you'd manage to stay afloat and not compromise all your life. You ha he says, 
you have delusions about yourself. You think you deserve to be on the plateau. <laughs> That's you convincing yourself. That's you having the mistaken perception about where you really deserve to be. That's like you blurring um, having the accomplishment without putting in the work. It's like a guy who says, I want to be rich, but I don't want to put in a day of work. That's arrogance. If you were truly humble, he says, you wouldn't even be comparing yourself on the yardstick. You acknowledge where you're at. You acknowledge what you have to be up against. And you would embrace that. So the very fact that you're coming to me complaining, why am I not at tzaddik, shows that you don't recognize your place. Powerful point. It's like for you, when the ugliness comes out, don't be surprised. You know, it's like the guys that hide out and be on their own and they go, well, I'm not an angry guy. I don't get offended by things, by small things. Well, yeah, go try being with people for a couple of days and we'll see the sour side of you come out. You've just never been in circumstances that have warranted it. He says, he says if, if, if you can think that you can be a tzaddik, that means you haven't truly analyzed the recesses of your heart. You don't really know yourself. Lack of self-awareness brings to a lack of self-judgment. And so he says, for you to have this fantasy of graduating, Rebbe, when will I graduate? When do I get a free pass to be the model of goodness is itself just conceited. But then he softens the blow. And he makes his third and really final point, which is that the premise of the question is wrong. The premise of what's bothering this chassid, he's frustrated with the struggle. He wants to achieve victory. He wants to be on the other side. He wants to come out in peace and tranquility. The Alter Rebbe says what you're missing is that Hashem celebrates struggle more than he celebrates victory. More valuable. How does he know that? How does the Alter Rebbe know that? He references a Zohar. The Zohar says that uh, you may remember the story in the Torah of uh, Yitzchak. Yitzchak was reaching his old age. He became blind. And he wanted to give his son a blessing. He wanted to give his older son a blessing. But then there was a whole story and Yaakov tricked him. But in the beginning, when he, when he first gave the instructions to his... Huh? Well, the mother, yeah. The whole story. But when he first gave the instructions to, uh, to, to Esau, to his older son, about what to do, he says, I want you to bring me tasty foods. Mat'amim is the Hebrew word. I want you to bring me tasty foods. And the Torah uses the word tasty foods in the plural. So the Zohar says that besides for the literal interpretation of the story, this is a conversation between God and his people. And he's telling his people, 
my children, I want you to know, your life is a process of making me food. Feeding the godly spiritual energies by the work that you do. And there's two types of tasty foods. I'm not a big uh, culinary expert, but maybe somebody that does barbecuing can help me out. He says, this is the Nintanya, he, he says this. He says, you have two types of food. One type of food is, uh, is tasty and pleasant inherently. It's just good food. You eat it, doesn't require much preparation. But then you have other foods that uh, inherently, in other words, by their nature, they're, they're tart or they're sharp or they're, they're bitter or acidic. It, it, they don't bring pleasure when you eat them directly. But if you, you know how to cook and you dress them right or you add them to the right mixtures of foods, the foods that are bitter and sharp can turn out to be more flavorful and better on the palate than the inherently tasty foods. So the Zohar says, God tells the Jewish people, I got two types of you guys here. Some of you are the inherently tasty guys. There's that tzaddik, all's good. You look at you, you're a walking, talking expression of godly beauty and sublimity in this world. And the other half of you, or the majority of you, I should say, are the naturally, in other words, in your, in your default state, you're bitter. You're, 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 you're unedible. But if we put in the work and we dress it right and we overcome and we push through, you'll find that the flavor that comes out of those foods are better than the tasty foods. Yeah. So there's a celebration of the bitter foods, of the struggle, more so than the tzaddik. I think I told you the story once about the Rebbe and the, the young boy who wanted to know why he fails so much. And the Rebbe gave him the example of the photographer and the, and the painting. Why the painting is more valuable than the photographer and then the, the postcard camera because the picture, the camera is meant to be perfect, so nobody's impressed when it is. But then, but then wouldn't the tzaddik then want to be a Bainani if that's the case? Yeah, but I, I guess uh, I haven't really met many tzaddiks, but I, I, if we meet them, they probably have their own mission in life. <laughs> you know, the Alter Rebbe, the, the Tanya's second name is uh, Sefer Shel Benonim. It's the book of the Benonim. There was a plan to write another book called the Sefer of Tzaddikim. He started to write it, and he was told to burn it. Told to burn it? To burn it. By who? By his teacher. He said, the world can't handle such a book. Yeah. So, we don't have the, we don't have the tzaddik's recipe, you know, for serving God. There's a tzaddik out there, you know, looking for a book. Yeah, he's like flailing for the book, right? <laughs> But I guess because, the, because, it, because it takes one tzaddik to make another, so, you know, it was always passed down. Anyway. But he says, because of that, appreciate, appreciate the opportunity we have to struggle. And what some, I think one of the most famous lines in the whole of Tanya is in this chapter, chapter 27. 
he says, Bechol Dechiyao Dechiyah. With every push, with every individual push, I don't care how big it is or how small it is. If it's you pushing yourself, you should know that you're pushing through the entire cosmos. The Alter Rebbe says you're creating a ripple effect that's rising to the top of the divine chain and topples down all negative forces from their pedestal of power. You can feel that much motivation. Oh, sure. You're telling me. <laughs> or, or know that in some way. You know, uh, you can know it as a way. The, great, the great Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Barditchev, he, he once turned to God. He was the great defender of Israel. He once turned to God and he said, you know, God, if you would have put heaven and paradise in front of our eyes and all the temptations and lusts in a book, I would understand why you have claims against us. He goes, but you put yourself in a book and you put everything else in front of our eyes. He says, what do you want from your children? You know, so yeah, if we can feel it, we would have a much easier time. But I guess that's why we're humans. We have to educate ourselves. It's the power of the mind that we can really get into a space where we're in touch with, uh, with, 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 with these points. But sometimes you can't feel it and it motivates you to continue. Yes. You can feel it certain accomplishments or if you led by example for your children or you've done something that motivates someone else, then that is feeling it and it, it continues to drive you to continue. Right. hundred percent. You could have a great moment and that could be a fuel that'll carry you through sometimes days, sometimes weeks. Yeah. I think the, I, I think the knowledge is also important. I mean a weird analogy to pop back in my head. I remember when I was in grade school, I was trying to play trumpet, and all they were teaching us was band music, and it was boring, and I hated it, and so I gave up. And later in life, I was like, wow, they had played Vicks Biderbeck or Miles Davis? I probably would have stayed with the trumpet. It's unbelievable. But I never knew it. Right. And so the struggle, it just didn't seem like there was that inspiration. And then all of a sudden, later on in life, you're like, whoa, wait a second. How did I not see this? Or yeah. This or get exposed to it. That would have been enough to like struggle through and to work. Exactly. It. It, it, right. You didn't see it. Yeah. And this is what we're doing. We're we're uh, yeah. we're trying to open our eyes so that we do see. No, so that we do see what we can. But but. Um, but that that's his closing message. Is God wants you to God wants you to succeed. See, but, but the success is in the struggle. You th- you're coming to me, says the author, but you're thinking, you know, when does the struggle end? No, th- this is where the purpose is. The struggle is the end. Yeah. I, I, I got to just say here, the author, doesn't, the author writes in the Tanya, he says, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. He says, maybe the struggle is the end. <laughs> and that maybe, this word maybe has, has troubled... Tanya scholars through the generations because you know then it becomes a half heart it's like what maybe maybe not (laughs)
50-50, right? But that's what he says. He says, maybe that was what you were created for, to be that one that carries the small struggle to the finish line. And that's where the ultimate value is. So, so, uh, so, 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 that, so that's, that's what he says. He says, God made you with a Yetzir Hara so that you can overcome it. And he introduces a, a Hasidic concept. Um, it, it, it doesn't, doesn't spend too much time on it, but it's, it's kind of a self-contained part of the chapter, which is called Iskafia. My father likes that word. I like that word as well. It sounds it, Italian. You may have... You may have heard it from a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. It's like the Cosa Nostra. Scafia. Yeah. They hit on somebody. Scafia. Scafia. Scafia means it's an Aramaic word, which means bending. There we go. And uh, the, the the idea is something that we've actually talked about many weeks ago, where instead of now, no. When you have an impulse that says, "Give it to me now." you're able to say no. So it means bending yourself even in the smallest amount. And just like in this context that we're talking about here where the Bainani is struggling and we're saying, yeah, keep struggling, keep going. He says, in general, it's true of every time we do iskafia, every time we bend ourselves. And he gives a couple of examples. The, the, the Talmud relates that, uh, that you can tell who a person was by uh, what hour in the day he ate breakfast. And if you ate at the third hour in the morning, three hours after sunlight, you were a worker because you had to eat earlier. It says the fourth hour was the average guy. Fifth hour is when the kings would eat. Sixth hour was when Talmidei Chachamim, the sages, would eat. So the Talmud explains what, why, what, what, what makes you a sage that you wait to the sixth hour. The sages were learning Torah all day. So who cares when they ate? What made them a sage was that they learned Torah all day. So let them eat at 9 o'clock, let them eat at 11 o'clock, let them eat at 12 o'clock. So the Alter Rebbe says they waited till 12 o'clock just for Iskafia, just to bend themselves. For them it didn't matter when they ate, it was the same 15 minutes they're going to eat and that's it. They're going back to the books. So why 12 o'clock? Yeah. The they, they purposely wanted to... Keep themselves hungry a little bit more, more than the average guy. Just for his coffee, just to bend their will, just just to bend their desire. I want to eat now. I'm going to eat a little bit later. Put your finger in the exactly. You control the desire. You can, exactly. You control the desire instead of it controlling you. And the author goes into a little more of a challenging space. He says uh, sometimes his could be with speech. Bite your tongue. You really want to say something, and then you shut your mouth from saying it. Iskafia can be in thought. You know? You want to entertain a fantasy and you push it away. In, in generations past, Hasidim would practice Iskafia on food. They were very, very stingy with what they ate. They didn't eat that much. And the Rebbe commented, he said, in this generation, he told one of the mashpiim, one of the uh, spiritual mentors of the students, he said, in this generation, don't encourage boys to uh, do iskafia on food. Tell them to do iskafia in their speech and in their thought. Says that'll be their iskafia. And it's, it's challenging enough, believe me, you know, to, to control thought and speech. 
And sometimes it's not even about controlling it, it's just about delaying it. You wanted to say it now, I'll say it later. And the Alter Rebbe says, Iskafia is the place where you're alive. The place in your life where you bend yourself is where you're alive. Remember that line? If there's no fight, pick a fight. The Alter Rebbe says, if you, if you see your life is sailing you know, and it's cruise control, that means you're lacking in life. Life is in struggle. Life is in tension. Life is where there's a back and a forth. And so the Alter Rebbe tells the Chassid, you're frustrated with life. You're frustrated because there seems to be no end. First of all, no, it's not getting easier. That's life. That's your realm. Second, be happy with it. Embrace it. Accept it. And third, know that Hashem honors the struggle more than He honors the win. Or to say it in other words, it's not how much you achieve, it's how much you work. The chassid comes to the Rebbe thinking that God wants tzaddikim. And so he asks, when am I going to be a tzaddik? And the Alter Rebbe reveals to him, God wants workers. God wants humans that struggle. You do that, you're on the path to the life that Hashem wants you to live. Chaim. 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 Chaim.